Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, what we've experienced tonight already through our music and through our baptisms. And God, as we take a moment tonight to look into your word, I pray that you will give us a heart to hear and a heart to obey. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, wasn't that good? And the choir was good and the baptisms were good. And now we're going to preach and try to do okay. But everything's been great to this point. You know, there was an old saying, and and I don't know how much validity there was to this or is to this uh, fully, but, you know, friends don't ever talk about religion or politics, correct? I'm in the religious business, so I talk about religion with everyone. But maybe partially that's true. You know, when you, you dig into politics, you can't get in trouble, can't you? Because you're right, and your friend who disagrees with you is never right when you dive into that. But, uh, you know, there are some subjects that are difficult or they're controversial. And this evening in 1 Timothy 2, we're going to look at some difficult scriptures. We've been in 1 Corinthians on Sunday night, but we're, uh, and we'll be back there tomorrow, uh, tomorrow next Sunday night. But tonight we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. We were in verses 1 through 8 this morning, and I promise you, uh, I can't promise you it's going to be a good sermon, but I can promise you that these are interesting verses, uh, very interesting verses that I've never preached on, at least especially the last one, and that you probably hadn't heard a ton of sermons on. Here's the first thing this evening that we can pull from this scriptures is that real beauty comes from the inside out. Real beauty comes from the inside out. Now, the context of everything we're going to see tonight is involving the, uh, the church and, and what was going on in the church. Keep that in mind. But it also, uh, these would be uh, ap- apropos anywhere, apply anywhere. In verse 9 and 10, I want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety. Not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or expensive clothes. And this isn't even the controversial stuff. But with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Okay, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Okay, next point is, no, I'm teasing. Uh, Ephesus, where Timothy was, is a, uh, a wealthy city. It's a commercial city. It's a metropolitan area. And the women in this day dressed, a lot of society women, dressed to impress. Not impress God or their husbands, but to impress other people and to uh, impress uh, other women, uh, particularly in the Greek society as a whole. This is all part of the Roman Greco empire that this was a very important status thing, the way that women dressed and the more expensive, your pearls, your dress, your... Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of them had very long hair, so your hairdo. Uh, that was very, very important. There was a lady uh, in, the, in Rome, this was probably close to Jesus' day, that it was reported her wedding dress alone, uh, if you turn it into our dollars today, would have been about $2.5 million dollars. 
Dads, and you think your daughter's wedding was expensive. Uh, can you imagine that? $2.5 million, Put it on the visa. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that's, that's kind of out there. Now, to make things even more complicated, and you've got to keep things in context, the prostitutes of this day also uh, were known to dress in ways that was very spectacular with their hair, with their jewelry. So they were trying to draw attention. So all of that, all of that is in the mix. You've got to put all of that in the blender when you look at this. And so God is telling these Christian women and young, young ladies, you, you know, it's, it's good for your mom and your grandmom to get this, but you need to get this right now too, okay? Uh, it, you don't dress, and men, this applies to us too, we're not to dress to impress other people or to seduce other people. We're to dress in a way that pleases and honors God if we belong to God. So does this passage rule out makeup and, and jewelry and things like that? There are some religious groups that say it does. I, I don't believe that that's what it's saying. I don't believe that's what it's saying at all. And probably one of the best things I heard years ago, and it never makes a woman happy to hear this, but, but it's a good illustration. Uh, an old farmer, a couple been married over 50 years, this is in the 1950s, and she had never wore makeup. Never wore makeup her whole life. And she's starting to want to wear makeup. And she asked her husband, they're a Christian couple. She said, honey, is it okay for me to wear makeup? And his response was something, men, you never need to say to your wife. He said, my, my view is if the old barn needs painting, you paint it. <laughs> and that was the last year of their marriage, I think, at... Uh, Okay, what this is saying, this is not saying you shouldn't wear jewelry, this, you, you shouldn't braid your hair, or you shouldn't wear makeup, or men that you shouldn't dress nice. It's, it's going against extremes is what it's going against. It's saying that real beauty, real beauty, cutting to the heart of it, real beauty is from the inside out. You can dress someone up in the nicest of clothes, nicest of jewelry, and, and if, their, if their demeanor and their spirit is ugly, they are ugly. You can put a man in a tuxedo and you can clean him up and put a toupee on him. And I'm, in the, I'm looking at toupees, seriously now. Some Sunday I may come to church with a... You're just going to live with it. And that's okay. It's okay. But real beauty comes from the inside out is what God's saying. Real beauty is found in Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit... It's love, it's joy, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's peace, it's patience. Those are the evidence that Christ lives in you and that Christ is controlling you as a Christian. Again, he's telling women, and I think this is so important, and, and I still get irritated when I think about this. I talk to my wife and my daughters about, about trying to understand men and how, how we're visual okay? Aren't we men? We are visual creatures. We like looking at a woman, you know, and, and hopefully in a good way and saying, she is pretty. She's good looking. You know, I like looking at my wife and go, man, she looks hot. And that's okay because she's my wife, right? That is okay. Men are visual. And so women... How you dress is important. Sometimes you don't understand this. I talked to my wife. I talked to my daughters. talked to my wife. And then this is about the second year we were married. Cindy and I were on vacation. We went to hear this guy preach, a guest preacher, guy in College Station, real good preacher. He preached on this, and we left. She goes, now I get it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. 
She didn't get it when I was telling her, but when someone else said the same thing, you know, that's how we are, isn't it? I mean, we don't, we don't get it from our own parents, our own kids, husband and wife. But we're visual. And you, ladies, you don't understand. If you wear something that's tight, you wear something that's tight in the wrong places or the right places, it draws men, and men are responsible for their own sin and their lust, but that's, it draws men in. Some women are intentionally dressed in that way. Correct, Amendo? See, God's saying here, dress in a way not to draw sexual attention to yourself, ladies, but in a way that honors God and honors your husband. Men, dress in a way, carry yourself in a way that honors God and your wife. Kim Alexis was a, a supermodel. I think we have a picture of her during the 80s. She appeared on over 500 magazine covers. She became a Christian in 1990, I believe. She said this, young ladies, she said that in all her years of of being a model and all that it took and what she wore, she said, looking back and now looking at it from a Christian viewpoint, that when you dress in a way that's drawing attention to you sexually, you are dishonoring not only God but yourself because men look at you and they don't think good godly thoughts. Not only do they not think good godly thoughts, they don't think good godly thoughts about you. And on the flip side of this, the supermodel Christian said, when a woman dressed modestly, it actually makes men think higher of her. And it helps her in her own respect of herself. Again, men, I don't want to just say the women because I think it's us too Real beauty comes from the inside out. It doesn't mean you you don't brush your teeth or comb your hair or wear makeup or toupees or whatever it is. It's saying that you got to understand that the real beauty comes from here, not not from everything else. Okay? Make sense? That good? Okay, now it starts to get even more interesting. Second thing, men, God says, are to be the spiritual leaders. Men are to be the spiritual leaders. Verses 11 through 14. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. And all the men said. Okay, ladies, stay with me. We're having fun. We're having fun. My wife's way in the back, so I am very safe right now. I have some angry teenage women, though, staring at me. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now, stay with me on this. Stay with me. This would be a good point. I feel led we pray and go on to the fellowship, wouldn't it? And it gets worse tonight before it gets better, I promise. Okay, the, the first place spiritual leadership starts in the home. And, and God has called the men to be the leaders in the home. Now, leadership does not denote value. Okay, follow me on this. Because someone is, your leader does not mean they are more valuable as a person to God than you are. Make sense? And boy, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw this out, then we'll go back to this. If you struggle with following leaders in your life, it is a God problem. Men, I'm talking to you every bit as much as I'm talking to women on that. It's not about value, it's about order. And by the way, women are to be over their children. 
Doesn't mean they're more valuable than their children. It's about order is what God's talking about. Now, how many of you would agree with me when you say men are supposed to be the leaders in the home, this creates controversy and confusion and bitterness and anger? I want to read to you a funny story. After reading a book called Man of the House, Wayne came home during his commute from work. The enlightened husband, music minister Wayne, stormed into the house to confront Stacy. Pointing his finger in her face, he said, From now on, I want you to know that I am the man of the house, and my word is the law. Can't you see Wayne doing this? Tonight, you are to prepare for me a gourmet meal and a sumptuous dessert. Then when I am finished eating, you are to draw me a bath so I can have a relaxing soak. And when I finish my bath, Stacy, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? <laughs> and Stacy responded, my guess is the funeral director. <laughs> and Stacy thought that was funnier than any of us. Okay, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. In every place you get more than two people together, somebody evolves as the leader, okay? God has a leadership structure in life. He has it at church. He has it in the community. He has it at the school systems. He has it where you work. He has it at the home, okay? He's called men to be the leaders. Women, he's asking you to choose to follow your husbands, not because they are superior in fact, men, this is placing a lot more of a burden on you than it is your wife. You know, it says there that, that the woman was deceived, but Adam is the one who negated the responsibility. God told Adam. Adam was supposed to be the one looking out. Adam fell bigger time than Eve did on this. And, and always remember, everybody wants to be the leader. Everybody wants to be in charge. The first thing about leadership is responsibility. Men, you hearing me? Well, I want to run things. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Okay, then you stick your head out there when the bullets start flying. Amen? Oh, honey, go get them. You know, we, and this is true everywhere. I don't like the way that coach is doing this. I don't wait. Okay, you go be the coach. You get screamed at. You get the anonymous letters. You get told how dumb you are. You work with kids 50 hours a week, and then a kid runs the wrong way on the final play of the game, and you lose, and you're the idiot, right? Take, it's responsibility. In the home, God has designed the man not to be the dictator, but to be the leader. Ladies, he says, choose to follow them. But understand, men, that as the leader, you're the one responsible, okay? Now, the second part of this is that God has chosen men to be the leaders in the church. Let's look again in this passage. By the way, you're very welcome to call me or email me this week, and we can discuss any of this more. This was in the church, and he says, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Scott Warner asked me to preach on this passage the last night he and Sharon were here for some reason. God's laying on the ground in the balcony laughing and saying amen. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Now, 
Okay, what, what is this saying here? There's, there's three views of what this is saying, okay? One, one view is this. This is just Paul. This is Paul's opinion, and Paul's a male chauvinist pig, therefore we do not have to go with this. One of my sisters, who's a devout Christian, she doesn't believe this is Paul's opinion, but she does believe Paul's a male chauvinist pig. And when she gets to heaven, she wants to talk to him about some things. Paul may have had a little issues with some women. I don't know. I, I, I think he probably did. Uh, a second view, and I, and I don't think that's the view, because if you take that view, then you're saying that's not Scripture, okay? So you can't go with that. I can't go with that. The second view is, is it's just confined to the historical context of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. In other words, it really doesn't apply anywhere else. It's just there. I don't think we can go with that. A third view is a strict literal view that everything that's said here must be literally practiced to the T uh, by everyone from this point on. And I think what you have is kind of a mixture of historical context and of taking the Word of God seriously here for what it says. Let me give you some background. In Jewish society... In this day and age, Jesus' day, a woman was a piece of property. Now, I'm not exaggerating this. You know, Jesus came in, and and you see in Matthew 5 about divorce. If, If Justin's wife burned the toast, he could divorce her. That's just the way it was. And a wife was basically, or a woman was under the complete authority of her father or her husband, period. She had little to no rights. In the synagogue, in the, the church, we would say the church house for Jesus, the synagogue, the men and the women were not together when they worshiped. The men would have been out here in front of me. The women were in, partitioned off either in the balcony or in a side area where they could not be seen or they could not be heard. Herod's temple, which was the temple of Jesus' day, it had three different partitions. It had the court of Gentiles, which you and me as non-Jewish people, we could go in there. But then the next court was the court of of women. So if you're not a Jew, you can't go into that next area. Jewish women and men could go in there. Then there's the next court, deeper into the temple, the court of men, which meant your your Jewish wife stayed there back. She could not go, partitioned off. In other words, even in Jewish religious society, by the way, this is not found in the Bible. This was the the laws they had added in. Women and men were separated, and really women were, were considered secondary citizens. In Greek society as a whole at this time, women were considered secondary citizens. A married woman basically stayed at the home. She stayed, I mean, literally, she didn't come out with the husband. She was off raising the kids. And women who were carousing around town were women who caroused around town. You get my picture there. And, and so they were, they, were, they were segregated. Now, Plato, the Greek philosopher, he said that women and men are equal. Aristotle said, no, they're not that men are far superior, and it was Aristotle's view that reigned in this day. So here's something absolutely incredible. When this was being read in the church in Ephesus, the women were sitting right there in the middle of the men like they are tonight. You get a picture? What did Jesus Christ do with with women? Did Did he say, you can't follow me? No. Women were, women were with Jesus throughout his ministry. Women, women were there at the cross. The, the first people who saw the resurrected Jesus were what gender? 
They were women. Jesus greatly elevated the view of women. And the church, and this would have been considered so radical and liberal, the church in the middle of this society, the Jewish world, Greek world, they just they brought the women right in the middle, and they were right there in the middle worshiping and praising God with the men. And, and believe it or not, that was radical. What was he saying here? Well, it's interesting. The word quietness, they must be silent, and quietness is, is more the picture of calmness and orderly, which, by the way, God wants all people to be in his house, not just women. This was a day and age before you had youth-graded Sunday school, you had youth groups, you had children's ministry. Basically, you might have prayer groups and stuff in homes, but when you got together, uh, it was for a worship service. Okay, And I think what he's saying here, certainly there are people who disagree, but I think he's saying here that the main preacher, the, the, the teaching elder of the church is to be a man. Okay? Now, there's Baptist churches that don't agree with that. There are Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches that don't agree with that. You've got to decide here what we do, take literal, and what we Take symbolically what is historical, what applies today, and I think you have to put all that there together in the mix. That God's not silencing women in the church, per se, but he's saying, again, the order of men being the leaders. Now, men, listen to me. You know why at times that women have, have probably had to take on some roles maybe they weren't intended to take on? Because we have not done it. My first two churches, little churches, you know that the dominant leaders, they weren't deacons or they weren't ministers, but the dominant leaders were women. You know why? Because the men sat on their hands and didn't do it. So men, when he says here that we're to be the leaders in the church, you know what that falls back to? Responsibility, doesn't it? It means cowboying up. Manning up. And, and if you're not already mad at me or you're not already confused, let's look at the last verse in this today. And, and here's what I thought I want to give you on this. Women and everybody need to have our priorities straight. We need to have the right focus. Now look in verse 15. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Now, how many of you think that's extremely odd? How many of you want that as our memory verse in March? <laughs> and I promise you, as I prayed this week, I thought, you know, I, I can, man, I can give them 25 minutes without touching that verse. But it's just hanging out there and it needs to be touched, doesn't it? I mean, we, we, why is that in the Bible? We need to try to understand why that's in the Bible. Well, again, here's three major views on this verse. One, can I just leave it there, is that it was saying that women will be saved through the birthing process, that when they give birth, they will be physically saved. That word saved there can be for spiritual or physical salvation, but I don't think that's a good interpretation. Too many women, Christian women through the years, have died in childbirth. 
especially before the 20th century, for that to be a valid interpretation. Another interpretation was, was that was saying that it was through a woman, Mary, that Jesus Christ came into the world, therefore uh, salvation is found through a woman giving childbirth. But again, I think that's too obscure. If that was the point that he was trying to get across, it didn't get it across very well, in my opinion, and I, I don't think that was it. Here is probably the, the best interpretation of, but women will be saved through childbearing, is, is he saying this, that women, and I say men too, find their greatest satisfaction by seeking to fulfill the role that God's given them. Let's go back to women. Women will find the greatest satisfaction in the context of these scriptures, not, not trying to fulfill a man's role in the world, but to fulfill the role God has called them to. Obviously, this would be applicable to a married woman in this day and age and today. False teachers were coming in the church. I preached on this a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, 1 Timothy 4, and they were telling them, don't marry. You remember that? That they shouldn't be marrying. And God said, no, 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 that's wrong. Maybe some of the women and people in this church were beginning to follow those false teachers. They were neglecting their families. They were neglected, thinking they didn't need to bear children. Procreation uh, in marriage for, for men and women who can have children has always been God's plan. I think what this passage is, is saying in the context here is that we find the true satisfaction in life by doing the things that God's left us here to do. One thing, not the only thing, but one thing, a woman who marries, the Bible says some are called to be single, men and women. Some men, some women can't have children, but obviously here he's talking about married women who can have children. One of the great roles he's given them is to bring life into this world and to be a nurturer spiritually and physically to those kids. You notice it says at the end, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness. You can have 50 kids and die and go to hell, okay? Possibly he's saying that, that a woman in this day and age will be saved from all the junk that was going on in Ephesus, temporal salvation, by focusing on their family and God and doing the things they need to be doing instead of out carousing around and running around and trying to fulfill the role that God has not called them to fill. But that faith, love, and holiness are fruits of a person who has a relationship with Christ. I want to read to you an interesting passage from a false gospel called the Gospel of Thomas. It came about 50 to 75 years after this letter was written, but this was a mindset. The Gospel of Thomas, one verse says, Listen, every woman who makes herself a man will enter the kingdom of God. Whoa, Moses. Aren't you glad that's not in the real Bible? We'd have a lot of ugly women, wouldn't we? <laughs> trying to look like us and trying to be like us. Every woman who makes herself a man, winner of the king. What a stupid thing. And God's saying just the opposite is, ladies, you don't have to be anything but what God has called you to be, and that will be pleasing to him. 
Find a relationship with Him. If you're a married woman and you can have kids and you have kids, nurture that family, raise that family, love that family. You are fulfilling God's purpose. You are pleasing to God. Men, as you find the, the reason God's left you here, as being a dad, being a husband, whatever it is, finding that, you don't have to chase after the things of the world. Find what God's left you here to do. As a godly leader at home, godly leader at church, and fulfill that role, that's how you find success and victory in life. So what do we do? What do we do tonight? Some of you married women may say, well, I need to have four more kids. I don't know. That's the choice between you and God. If you want to make that public tonight, we'll let you, but... I can tell you what everybody here needs to do. You need to get squared up with what God's left you here for. Christian man and woman, are we doing that? Are we fulfilling the roles that God has left us to fulfill? Men, are you being the leader? Well, my wife won't follow me. Be the leader. Be the leader. Ladies, follow him. As long as he's in line with Christ, when he gets out of that, then no, you, you don't, but follow him. Men, show, show her how good follower he is in the other areas of life. You want your kids to follow you. You want your spouse to follow you. And, and you're rebellious to all the leadership in your life. They're laughing at you. Be the person God's called you to be, Christian. Where you're standing or at the altar. Align or realign yourself with God tonight. Maybe you'd like to join our church. We'd love for you to do that tonight. Come down and talk to one of our ministers. We'll help you with that. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Christ. Why don't you come this evening and let one of us help you find Jesus as your Savior. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come.